Blog Talk Radio. Oh, that line forms on the right, babe. Now that Mackie's back in town. This is Brian with Mets 360, and I'm very pleased uh, to be joined tonight by uh, Mark Healy from uh, Gotham Baseball. And, and Mark, I, I have it on good authority, because Facebook never lies, that you're a Bobby Darren fan. Is that true? Yes, very, very, very much so. Yes. That is correct. Now, Bobby, Thanks for having me on this show, Brian. Bobby Darren is, is one of those guys who, who I don't really know much about. You know, I, I know obviously everyone knows Mac the Knife, but uh, give me two or three other songs of his that I ought to be checking out. Uh, Clementine, uh, Bill Bailey, um, Artificial Flowers. Um, my God, there's so many. His version of More. Um you know, he had a lot of early stuff. See, Bobby Darren is interesting, uh, an interesting artist because he started in, like, the the poodle skirt era, you know, right at the end. And he had a lot of, like, big hits like Splish Splash and Queen at the Hop. But then he made this uh, transition into the Sinatra big band kind of jazzy, uh, you know, nightclub type of, of music. And that's the stuff, like Summer Wind. Oh, actually, that's Sinatra. I mean, um, uh um, somewhere beyond the sea. Beyond the sea is the song. Really, is another big song for him. Besides Mac the Knife. So, you know, and those are the things that, you know, people remember Bobby Darren for. So, you know, he was a big star. Plus, he people don't realize he was also an actor and uh, actually did pretty well. Um, was nominated for an Academy Award actually for a film called Captain Newman, M.D. So, I used to drive my producers crazy on uh, a serious <laughs> show when we did Baseball Digest because I'd make them do, like if it was like Bobby Darren's birthday or something, I'd make them play Bobby Darren. And, you know, if you listen to Sirius or some of these other shows, you know, everybody plays hip-hop, and I used to hate it. So I'd be like, look, we're changing all the music. I'd drive everybody crazy, but it was fun. It was good stuff. There, there you go. Well, let's uh, segue over from talking about music to talking about baseball, and obviously we're here to talk about the Mets. And uh, one of the big things that's gone on here lately is the arbitration deadline. And the Mets, I thought, were a little bit surprising because they had, what, uh, eight or nine arbitration cases, and they tendered a contract to, to every single one of them. And I, I thought right. for sure that a couple of them were going to be non-tendered. Uh, give me your thoughts on uh, on what went down and, and why you think it happened the way it did. I think ultimately you're talking about a team that doesn't really want to spend a lot of money. And they feel that, I, and then this is, again, you know, this is what, you know, I hear from people, you know, just on a, um, a very informal basis. Basically, I, I think that it takes a certain kind of player to be able to play in New York. And rather than go get some of these guys on the open market and maybe pay a little bit more without really knowing, you know, whether or not, whether or not they could play in New York, I, I think the Mets looked at the guys that they had that were arbitration eligible and, and felt, you know what, you know, whether we, whether we sign these guys and then deal them or, you know, <clears throat> don't necessarily give them big raises or extensions, I think it was a question of, you know, the devil you know rather than the devil you don't. And I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, I think I would have non-tendered a couple of guys, including Miguel Tejada, including Ruben Tejada. But again, you know, this is the philosophy, you know, and 
And this is a team that has, for whatever reason, these guys like playing with each other, and the front office likes them, and the manager likes them, and they seem to get along really well. So, you know, you know, part of that logic, you know, is, you know, keep these guys together, and maybe they can do it again. Now, you mentioned Ruben Dejada, so let's talk about him. Um, I'm looking at the arbitration estimates over at uh, MLB Trade Rumors, and they had Tejada as $2.5 million. That's not a lot of money. But as you mentioned, that the club is trying to, to save pennies, and they've, they have somebody in Matt Reynolds who might be able to be a, a serviceable backup shortstop that they could uh, use him in place and save $2 million. So why not do that? I love Matt Reynolds, but I think that part of the equation there is the fact that Matt Reynolds did not have a great, um, you know, 2015. He just didn't. Um, he struggled uh, at times, and at times that, you know, he also uh, got banged up a little bit. And I think that at, at the end of the day, um, I just feel like they didn't want to take a chance on an untested player being able to handle, you know, second base, shortstop, and third base. And he's their backup plan if they don't get a player like Zobrist. You know, a guy like Tejada who can play all three infield positions uh, outside of first base, um, they felt that, you know, Terry Collins, let's be honest, I mean, you, uh, you, you're brain dead if you don't realize that Terry Collins loves Ruben Tejada. I mean, he loves the guy. Um, so I think that played a role in it as well. All right, well, let's shift gears and, and look at another player uh, going to earn over twice as much as Tejada, and that's Addison Reed. Uh, the MLB uh, trade rumors has him listed at $5.7 million. And is that too much money to pay for a setup man? And if it's not, do you think that uh, he's a guy who's worth that much uh, coin? I certainly think that the Mets should have made Darren O'Day a priority, even though, you know, the the the, the rumors that have been out there, you know, they're talking about four years and ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, you know, the way I look at it as, you know, a guy signs, when he signs for a ridiculous amount of money, then you can say, okay, I'm glad we didn't sign him. I would have made, personally, I would have made Darren O'Day, I would have made him my priority this offseason. We saw last year, that how important the bullpen is, uh, you know, Clippard. And this is the thing. It, it's it's the success and the failure that you have to look at. When Clippard came over in the deal, I mean, that changed everything for the Mets bullpen. It really did. I mean, Addison Reed helped too, but he didn't – he wasn't as good right away. They really had to kind of find a place for him. And I like him. I liked the deal. I liked the way it worked. But rather than give him that kind of um, that kind of money myself, I'd rather have a guy who's been more consistent in a Darren O'Day. Because you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna hem and haw over a couple million dollars per year, that can come back to haunt you. Uh, however, you know this is this is uh, Sandy Alderson, and this is the you know the sabermetric mindset in a lot of ways is that a lot of guys uh, from that uh, discipline. Look at the bullpen and thinks and, and think they fluctuate from year to year, and they'd rather sign guys to one-year contracts and see what happens. You know, to me, I'd rather have a guy that's been consistent that I know I can depend on, and if he struggles, at least I know he can come back to the pack. Uh, you know, at some point. So I don't love that, but I don't hate it. But I can understand why they made that decision. 
Okay. Um, now, can you understand why they're bringing back Henry Mejia? You know what? I, when they made the decision, you know, look, I am not a Mejia fan. Uh, I'm not. I, 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 I just feel like this is a guy that has been hurt uh, on a regular basis. I think he's a guy that has talent, but, you know, he... You know, this is a guy that twice in the same season, this is like, how much of a knucklehead do you have to be, you know, to, to do the things that he did? And and the idea is, you know, that you would bring this guy back and, you know, like it's almost a stubbornness that you don't want to go outside and pay a little extra for a guy that, you know, maybe he's not as good, but maybe he's a little bit more durable, a little bit more dependable. I did not agree with that at all. I was very surprised when I heard about it. And, um, and frankly, I'm really not happy about it, to be honest with you. Now, to me, there, there's two things that, that uh, are disappointing about the decision. And one is they're, they're estimating $2.6 million dollars uh, to sign Mejia, and he's only going to be, what, eligible for two months out of the, the season? I think his suspension will end, and he'll be able to pitch in August and September, and and that's it. And it's you've really got to have a whole lot of faith in him to give him that much money for those two months after what he did. Do you think that the Mets just don't care about the suspensions, or do you think that do you think that uh, they don't think that it's a, a problem, or do you think they well, that Mejia took uh, things by mistake? Uh, I mean, just, obviously, they don't care. Obviously, they don't care. Obviously, they brought him back. I mean, but this is a team that's done that before. <clears throat> they did it. With, they did it with you know it was a different general manager, but you know it was still you know Guillermo Moda uh, was a free agent and he apologized, even though he was terrible. He was the worst reliever. Uh, in the 2006 postseason for the Mets. Um, he was even worse, I believe, than Heilman. I'd have to go back and look at the FIPs, but, um, you know, he was awful. And, you know, he had the suspension, and, and then they were all like, you know, well, let's bring him back because he apologized. Well, of course he apologized. He was a free agent. <laughs> you know, that's why they brought him back. He had to apologize. Um, you know, it's foolish. I think it's foolish, and I think that at the end of the day, you know, I think they were looking at it, um, from a sense that, oh, here's a guy that we can get late in the season that we don't have to expend a prospect to get if our bullpen isn't where it, isn't where it needs to be, and if he's healthy, they can deal him. You know, that's I think the sense that you know that they were you know I guess the strategy that they convinced themselves you know that the, that was the way they were going to be able to work it out. You know, if it didn't if he if he wasn't needed, you know, I mean, look, you can look at it from the other side of it, Brian, and you can be like, wow, they're really being strategic. But um, I, I think it sends a bad signal. I mean, that's what I do. But, you know, again, I've been wrong before with this team and how they and how they formulate different things. So maybe this is one of those things where the majority of the fan base disagrees, but it works out at the end. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. This is a, a very strategic move because last year we were scrambling and ended up uh, trading and acquiring guys for the bullpen, and and here we have almost an, an ace in the hole. I mean, we easily forget how good Mejia was there in 2014. He could be this year's Tyler Clippert and, and Addison Reed put together. And, uh, I mean, $2.6 may sound like a lot, but... 
come come August if we're in the middle of a pennant race and we need to to have the eighth inning uh, strengthened, uh, Mejia could be a godsend. No, there's no question, you know, and um, I don't necessarily see. Look, I, I'm I come from a different um, discipline and I come from a different way of of thinking. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't I don't look at sabermetrics as something that. Uh, should be ignored. I certainly am not one of those guys that look at it and scoff at it. It's a tool that, you know, is a very important tool. I don't think it should be the whole uh, enchilada. But again, you know, it's part of the tool toolbox. It's it's something that's very important, and certainly to this organization, you know, they pay a, a lot of attention to it. Um, but at the end of the day, as important as the numbers are, personalities are important too. And if if this guy, I don't know how his teammates feel about him, um, but they must. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they they talk to some of the guys on the team to get a sense of whether or not he would be welcome. Because that chemistry, you know, if you want to stick a guy in a bullpen at the end of the year and he's not meshing with his teammates, go just go look at your division rival and a Papelbon. And I'll take credit for that. You know, but everybody likes to jump on me when I'm wrong. I was right about that. And I said, as soon as they made that deal and Mets fans were screaming, oh, how come we couldn't get a guy like Papelbon? How come we couldn't get a guy like that? I said from the very beginning, I said, thank you. I said, thank you, Mike Grizzo, for getting this guy because he is a cancer. He's a, he's a terrible guy to have in your bullpen. He's a terrible guy. I mean, there was a time when he was, when he was awesome. But he's a guy that just they, he came to the team and they screwed up their whole bullpen chemistry. And whatever shot that they had of of – you know, going into a head-to-head race with the Mets went down the drain as soon as they got that guy. I'm not saying that that Mejia has the same kind of potential, uh, you know, uh, buzzkill to him if he joins the roster. But, you know, I don't know how his teammates feel about him. You know, is that something that you can, oh, we have Mejia, we could stick him in the bullpen. But what if there's somebody else in that bullpen that's doing well that, you know, Maybe it's not doing it well at the moment and takes his spot. You know, it's just, to me, sometimes the the sabermetric, um, you know, uh, way of thinking doesn't always include the chemistry and the, and the feel of a club. And that's the only, I guess, danger zone for me with a move like this. He's Mark. I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 on Blog Talk Radio. We were talking about uh, the Mets uh, tendering contracts to all their arbitration-eligible players. Let's shift gears a little bit. We're getting ready to uh, head out to the uh, winter meetings. Uh, what are your expectations, Mark, for what the Mets are going to do uh, during the winter meetings? Do you expect there to be a lot of buzz around the Mets uh, and a lot of rumors, or do you think it will be uh, a little more quiet than that? I think there'll be rumors. Um, I think that there always are rumors when the Mets are involved, especially with the Mets coming off a pennant win, uh, that teams will, you know, teams will and agents will and players will certainly use the Mets as somebody to drive, uh, you know, the conversation. Uh, I know agents uh, are specifically uh, notorious for that. And, you know, I used to go to the winter meetings. I used to go to the winter meetings every year. And I, I really miss, of, of all the things that I miss about covering, um, you know, the baseball beat on a day-to-day basis, 
is going to the winter meetings. I absolutely loved it. My wife hated it because she hated the timing <laughs> of, of when it was every year, you know, right around the holidays. But uh, to me, it was five days of no sleep and 24-7 baseball talk, uh, whether you're talking to agents, whether you're talking to players, um, whether you're talking to managers, coaches. I mean, you really got a sense of – and you really got a lot of con- – contact that you don't necessarily get during the course of the year with the managers, with the front office guys, with the minor league personnel from all over the country and and the job seekers. You know, there's so many people that come, uh, you know, looking for jobs in the minor leagues. You just get to meet such a rich um, mix and concentration of people. I really miss that. I miss that energy. Um, You know, as far as the Mets are concerned, you know, the the Mets have been when Omar Minaya was the general manager, the Mets were fun at the winter meetings, you know. Um, Omar was fun. Uh, a great guy, certainly a guy that uh, I've always enjoyed dealing with and, and it always was a gentleman to me. Um, you know, I miss talking to guys like Jim Duquette, you know, Jim Duquette, some of the broadcasters that would go. I remember one night everybody had gone to this fancy restaurant for dinner and we were in some taco place, me and a couple of guys from Gotham. And uh, sitting across the way from us was uh, uh, Peter Gammon and a, a bunch of the guys from ESPN. So we were like, that's pretty cool. You know, everybody's at the fancy steak dinner and we're, we're here in the taco place. But, um, I, you know, when the Mets are concerned, as I said before, I don't really expect them to do much at the meetings. Uh, maybe they're playing possum. But it seems to me that the only thing they're really talking about um, that's leaked a little bit is the Zobra stuff. Now, they, they could be doing that because they have, you know, things up their sleeve. I know that Matt Cerrone over at MetsBlog.com kind of floated this idea that why shouldn't the Mets be talking about, uh, you know, Hayward. Um, you know, I, I think that they're talking to teams. I think that they're interested. I think they'll do more trading than they'll do uh, signing any huge free agents. Um, I do think that Todd Frazier is a guy that they'll look to see if they can get. Um, I think they have a lot of – I think they have more movable parts than people think they do. It's just a question of, you know, is ownership committed to spending – I look, and I don't expect them to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, but, you know, is ownership – did they like the way the, the stadium – was at the end of the season? Did they like how loud it was? Did they love the energy? Because that's what happens when you spend money and the team wins. You know, they made the commitment to Cespedes. I still think that there's an opportunity that the market maybe can come back to the Mets. Uh, Even with Daniel Murphy, I wrote that a couple of weeks ago in my column uh, in the Wave. Um, You know, I mean, that's a very long answer to your question, Brian, but, you know, every year, you know, there are four or five teams that seem to make a splash. The Mets, the Mets, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But under Sandy Alderson, they really don't make that much of a splash at the meetings. Uh, I think that it's, I think it's hard to gauge at this point whether or not they'll be announcing anything uh, while they're in Nashville. A splash at the meetings. That's uh, that's a, a funny term. Uh, I've got uh, a couple of readers over at the blog who used to refer to. Uh, Alderson is a uh, semi-retired GM uh, because he just did uh, such little in the way of transacting before midway through last year. Uh, you know, his first um, three and a half, four years on the job, he, he seemed virtually asleep at the wheel. So um, I, I worry about these people who get 
so built up about expectations about what the Mets are going to do at the winter meetings when the expectations should probably be, eh, not so much. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the payroll, and obviously we don't know what the payroll is going to be, but it's hard to imagine that it's going to be uh, significantly more than it was last year. I mean, sure, they got the, the windfall from the playoff experience in 2015, but can they really count on receiving that same amount year in, year out going forward? As fans, you know, we'd like to, to see them have that, but how realistic is that, and do you think that they should be budgeting for that? You know, look, I, I one one of the worst things um, when the Mets won the pennant was seeing those dopes and, and the, the seeing ownership dopes in the locker room. It really upset me. Um, I was like, you know, you ruined it for me. Get out of there because I felt like they shouldn't have been able. They shouldn't have been allowed in there. I mean, I know that's that sounds uh, childish and foolish, but. You know, I, I this team they, this team does not deserve this ownership. You know, um, and I was I was critical of Sandy Alderson up until the deadline. I was, and I was visceral uh, when the Carlos Gomez deal uh, fell through. And I know people in hindsight were like, "Oh, I'm glad that deal didn't go through," but I thought it made the Mets look like idiots. And you know, whether or not it was the right move, obviously it was the right move that it fell through and that Cespedes fell in their laps, but they would have never looked at Cespedes in a million years. You know, they, they targeted Carlos Gomez because he was signed for this year, um, that the Wilmer Flores, uh, you know, price for him, I thought was very reasonable. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, Wilmer became a folk hero and that, that stuff is all, you know, well and good, but, you know, uh, who would you rather have on your team? You know, would you rather have Carlos Gomez playing center field this year, or would you rather have Wilma Flores maybe being, you know, the right-handed part of a platoon as a utility infielder? You know, who knows? Uh, me, personally, I'd rather have Carlos Gomez. Um, and it was great to win the pennant, but at the end of the day, we didn't win the World Series. So, you know, everybody has different, you know, amount of expectations. People have different ways of looking at last season. I certainly love the ride, but I also, while I didn't talk about it a lot uh, after the deadline, I knew that it was going to be short-lived. I knew that Daniel Murphy and, and Cespedes uh, would not be market value re-signings with the Mets, that they would have to get lucky like they like the, uh, you know, the Orioles did with Nelson Cruz. They'd have to get lucky where the market would come back to the team and teams that wouldn't be willing to give a, a long-term deal, and they would get them on the cheap. Um uh, you know, here's another guy. If the Mets had signed Nelson Cruz, how much better off would they have been the last couple of years? Um, and I always look at it that way. I'm not just a fan. I'm also, a, you know, an analyst and a journalist. And I look at it, I try to look at it from both sides of the coin. To me, I don't see any difference with the Mets ownership, the Wilpons and Saul Katz, taking the money that they earned from the postseason run to pay off their debt and, you know, the, to pay their, their debts on the, on the stadium, to pay their debts to Major League Baseball, to pay their debts to their creditors, um, than what Frank McCord did with the Dodgers and was forced out by Major League Baseball because of it. Um, you know, spending in the outside of the top ten, and again, it's not about, I, I understand it's not about how much you spend. It's how you spend it. I understand that, but that's not an, you know, it's like it's not an excuse to have a payroll less than the Kansas City Royals. It's just not. 
You know, not when you charge New York prices. You know, not when, uh, you know, to buy a beer at City Field, it's 12 bucks. Not when, you know, to, to sit in, in the, uh, a guy with three kids like me and my wife, you know, we can't go to games because it's ridiculous. I'm not spending $600 to go to a game. It's insane. Um, so, you know, it, it gets to the point where it's like you want to you love your team. You want to love the fact that they have this young pitching staff, that they have a shot to win. But then what is ownership's commitment to making the team better? What is it? I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. They haven't said what it is because they're not willing to put a number out there because they know that the media and the fan base will hold them accountable. And people say that I'm a broken record. Well, too bad. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to sit there and wave pom-poms. That's not my way. I've never been that way, and I never will be. Um, I, I have no idea what they're going to spend. I never thought in a million years they would deal um, – you know, they would deal for Cespedes, they would deal for a rental, but now, like, when you deal for a rental and you don't re-sign them, fans want you to do better. And you lose your number three hitter and your number four hitter, and you keep telling me about Lucas Duda, how Lucas Duda is going to, you know, be the cleanup hitter next year. Uh, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not excited about the Mets getting back to the playoffs. And that, to me, that's all I care about. I care about the team winning. I don't care about whether or not they make payroll. I don't care whether or not they make money or lose money. I care about wins, and I've always cared about wins. So that aspect of the that aspect of folks thinking about the budget, thinking about where the money's going to be spent. To me, at the end of the day, you win games. If you if you don't spend money and you win games, that's great. But if you don't spend money and you lose games, well, then ownership has to has to pay the price for that. And, and I think and I hope that people will let them know by staying home if that's what indeed happens. Earlier, you mentioned Sarone uh, uh, and, and Metzblog, and, and they are such a, uh, a big, they cast such a big shadow over the, the Mets blogosphere uh, just because of the excellent work that uh, Matthew and his staff do and uh, the, the relationship that they have with the team. And I'm just curious what you, you think about uh, some of his uh, posts. And he, he seems to be, um, uh, let's see, how do I, I want to say this? He, he seems to be actively recruiting for the Mets to, to make a, a splash this offseason. Um, does that surprise you in any way, I guess, is what I'm asking? No, not at all. I've known Matt forever. Um, you know, I've known – I knew Matt before I started Gotham Baseball, so I've known Matt for over a decade. Um, and no matter what I've done, um, he hired me at one point at SNY. I worked at SNY for a while. Um, Matt has always been a big supporter of mine, and I am equally a supporter and defender of his. Uh, Matt, to me, is, is a guy that um, has really helped a lot of people in the industry. And as far as I'm concerned, and, 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 and I, have to, I have to say this, you know, when I, when I worked at SNY, Matt never told me what I could write. And if you know me, you know the way I write and you know the way that I interact with fans and you know the way that I interact with teams. Most teams don't like dealing with me because I am not a pom-pom guy. Um, and you could say whatever you want, I'm accurate and I'm fair. And Matt is the same way. The problem is is that Matt, because he works for SNY, you know, people think that, you know, Mets blog and SNY was somehow sold out when the Mets took over SNY and they took over the Mets block. 
Matt is the same guy he was uh, before before SNY as he is after. He's the same guy. So, you know, it's not a question of selling out. It's not a question of, you know, it's not a question of anything other than this guy is every bit as big a Mets fan as you or and I. He just has a different way of expressing it. And, you know, let's be honest, Mets Twitter, as as fun as it can be to hang out with Mets Twitter, sometimes it's like a dive bar. And you got to really watch, you know, before someone hits you in the head with a bottle, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think it's great that Matt is throwing stuff out there. I think it's it's great that Matt, uh, and, and, you know, Matt Matt's critical. You know, Matt doesn't, you know, sit in a bowl. People, you know, people who think that Matt isn't critical or, excuse me, that Matt is critical or isn't critical just don't read the blog. You know, they don't read it on a regular basis because if you read it on a regular basis, you would know that he's he's been critical of Terry Collins. He's been critical of Sandy Alderson. He's been critical of ownership's willingness to spend, you know. And I, I think, look, I think it's great that Matt um, – you know, is such an avid presence. And I hope, you know, I hope that that stays that way because he's a, he's a guy that, you know, certainly has added uh, an understanding. I mean, I read, I read Mets blog every day and he certainly has added to my uh, understanding and coverage uh, at times as well. He's been a great guest on whether it's serious, whether it's my podcasts, whether it's, you know, um, you know, stuff that we've done, you know, at the ballpark, so Matt's always been a constant in my career, and I I, I just think that, that it's such a resource for people. Uh, you know, if you like it, great. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. That's how I feel. <laughs> well, we are just about out of time. I want to thank uh, Mark for joining me tonight. And uh, please make sure to go over to uh, Gotham Baseball and, and check out uh, Mark's work over there. And you might even see something from Mets 360 while you're there. You know, and that's great. That's great that you guys came on board as content partners this year. I think it's been great for both of us. And uh, seeing you were worried that you weren't going to have uh, uh, enough time to sell 30 minutes. <laughs> you were worried. 30 about minutes it. goes by in a blink, doesn't it? It's All right, well, uh, when join you have a guest on. <laughs> especially when you have a guest on, it doesn't take a breath. <laughs> Join us next Thursday here on uh, Mets 360 at Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Mark, and good night, everyone. Goodbye. Take care, buddy. Take care.